0: Welcome to the Island's Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. All right, so uh, let's go church. We're going to be in Ephesians again today. Uh, We're just going to jump into this text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the word maturity. The word maturity. Everybody say maturity. Maturity. We're going to talk a little bit about maturity. God uh, designed His his church to grow, like the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to grow. Christian leaders really understand that, the people who find themselves in ministry, but not everybody really believes that or buys into that, that the church is supposed to grow, that it's supposed to be uh, something that not only grows spiritually and grows in maturity, but it grows numerically. It gets bigger. God has designed the church to grow, He's designed you and me. grow in our maturity and in our faith. And he's designed the church to grow as well. Paul says following Jesus leads to maturity. Everybody say maturity again. Maturity. Y'all, we're going to get this before we leave today. Paul says that following Jesus leads to maturity. A Christian will grow in maturity. And when we are maturing and growing in Christ, we're more like Jesus. Okay? We're more like Jesus because we're maturing in Christ. We're more like him. And then those people who don't know Jesus, when they see me or see us, when they see you, DeAndre, they don't see DeAndre. They don't see Stephen. What they notice first is the person who I am becoming like, which is his name is Jesus. Okay? So a person who doesn't know Jesus sees me and I'm maturing and following Jesus and being more like Jesus. What happens is they are drawn to not Stephen, but who? Jesus the Jesus living inside of me, the Jesus coming out of me. All right, so, so follow me, follow me. So maturity, growing in Christ, growing up in your faith, is how God has designed the church to grow. God has designed the church to grow through believers growing up in their faith, maturing in their faith, being Jesus in their everyday lives, and then non-Christians, non-believers, people who are confused about Christianity, seeing those people and saying, "Huh." I've got to figure this out. I want to know what is it about this person. And, and I know this is true because when Jesus was alive, doing His ministry, people flocked to Him. And what I say all the time is if the people are not flocking to the church, we may not be holding out Jesus at all. And so we know that if we're maturing in Christ and we're growing in Christ, then we're gonna be, Jesus is going to be attractive and people are going to be drawn to Him. Now, full disclosure here, as a preacher... I haven't always seen it this way. Okay, so for a long time, I've been in ministry now like 26 years. And for a long time, I thought that, you know, discipleship or maturing in Christ was one, you know, bucket, and then evangelism was the other bucket. And that, you know what, we need to do evangelism well, we need to get people saved, people need to come to Christ, and then we need to figure out a way to mature them and disciple them and let them grow up in their faith. And I saw these as two separate things. And what I've been learning, just God's teaching me this just here recently, that these things are inseparably linked. That when a person who is in faith and in Christ, when they are maturing and growing in faith, each of us individually, then we as a church collectively are growing up Right? We as a church collectively are maturing in our faith. And then what happens is people see that and they're drawn to the Jesus that is in us collectively. So think about it this way. When everybody in this room and everybody watching online, everybody who sees themselves as part of our church, um, <clears throat> when all of us are taking our maturity in Christ seriously and we're pursuing maturity and growing in our faith, when all of us are doing that, okay, then we become a different type of community. We become a community that is marked by the person of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the characteristics of Jesus, the the ways of Jesus. In other words, who we become collectively isn't, oh, they're just humans. Well, you know how people are. No, we become like a superpower of Jesus Christ present here with us when we're all growing in our faith. And so, so what happens is when we are following Jesus and pursuing maturity, we become a community where other people find and follow Jesus. Like, that's how it works. It doesn't work because we have the best marketing scheme or the best best show in town. It actually works because the most attractive thing on the planet is Jesus, our Savior. And he offers to live inside of us and to model and live through us and so that we are him in the world. I know this is high-level stuff because we think of Christianity as like trying to be a good person and go to heaven when we die, but that's not Christianity. Christianity is Jesus living out of us and us growing up in our faith. I want to just read verse 15 real quick of the section we're going to be in. Verse 15 says, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. One more time. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. Christ. So it's very simple. When we become more like Jesus, the church grows, and God wants the church to grow. As we grow up in faith, more people come to faith. As we grow up in faith, more people come to faith. This is how a healthy church grows. This is what happens. So we're going to read this whole thing, and what what we're going to see today is um, we're going to see the evidence of your maturity, whether you have maturity or not. We're going to find out. You're going to be able to look in the mirror today and find out whether you have maturity. All right? We're going to see the evidence of your maturity. We're going to see the res- resources for your maturity. And we're going to see the purpose for our maturity. All right? So let's read the whole section real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I know it's long, but stay with me. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Y'all want to stop and go home? Y'all, I can't listen to this sermon, man. Bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts, to his, gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apportionment, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the what? Mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, what's that word say? Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, so first of all, you ready? The evidence of your maturing, verses 1 through 6. The evidence of your maturing. Verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So the evidence of your maturity, the evidence that you are growing in your faith and maturing in Christ, is that you make every effort to keep the unity among the believers. That's, that's, that's evidence. You make every effort to keep the unity among the believers. You, you sacrifice your personal preferences. Ah, that's tough, right? You sacrifice your personal. You, you, when you don't like something, if it's not a biblical issue, right? If it's not something you can turn to in the Bible and say, I don't like this because of this, this, and this, right? When you don't like something, you remember that what you don't like is a preference and you can voice that preference, you can talk about that preference, but you remind yourself consistently that it's, it's just a preference I don't like because I'm more interested in the unity then I am my preference. That's what make every effort means. Hey, I don't like this. I don't like that. But what you know what I like more than anything else is that the body of Christ be unified. So it's not about me. And so what Paul is saying that is an evidence of your maturity is that you submit your personal preferences the the way you would like it. You submit all of that below the unity of the body first. Now, we got to be clear here because Paul would not tell us here to pursue unity at all cost. That's not what he says. you got to also notice what the Bible doesn't say. He doesn't say pursue unity at all costs no matter what. Nope. Paul would not have us abandon the authority of the Scriptures in the name of unity. He would not have us abandon Jesus as our Savior in the name of unity. He would not have us abandon what God teaches clearly in the Scriptures in the name of unity. In other words, Paul would tell us, hey, we, we can't just keep quiet when something's out of alignment with the Scriptures for the sake of unity. That's not the same thing, right? That's not what Paul's calling us to do. And we know that's true for Paul's life because you can read in the book of Galatians that Paul approached and confronted Peter over his racism, okay? That he went to Peter and got in his face because Peter was being a racist, and Paul said, hey, you're being a racist, and you've got to stop being a racist. Now, do you think that had a chance of disrupting some unity between he and Peter? You better believe it. You call, somebody, you call somebody racist, you're going to have a chance of, of disrupting unity. And that's exactly what Paul did. He went to Peter and he said, let me tell you something. What you're doing is out of alignment with the Word of God, the Scriptures of God, the way you're acting. This is not okay. And boom, there was confrontation. Uh, Paul in another place tells us when someone's caught in a sin, that we should restore them gently. Have you ever tried to restore someone gently who's doing some stupid stuff? how well do they normally take it? How well do you normally take it? Is that too much? How well do you normally take it? Whenever you're doing something stupid and somebody comes to you and says, hey, listen, um, I love you and I care about you and I want to tell you about what you're doing right now and it's just really dumb. And you're destroying your life and you're destroying the lives of your children and you're really making a mess of things. How well do you receive that? You don't receive that very well. And so Paul would tell us that When someone's caught in a sin, when someone is uh, living a life that is out of alignment with God, Paul would say, "Yeah, you got to go and confront them gently. You got to go and try to restore them gently." But that's going to disrupt the unity. But you see, now this this demands discernment. It demands discernment through the Spirit. It also demands knowledge of the Scriptures, because I got to know what's my preference and what's actually true in the Scriptures. I can't just be like, "Uh, "I'm mad about this. I don't like it." And and you know have a lot of emotion built up around it a lot of feelings built up around it your emotion and feeling doesn't make any objective truth this is where the objective truth comes from Okay, this is where the objective truth comes from and anything that we can discern and discover in the scriptures that is worth disrupting the unity over so for example if I got up here and said hey Jesus is you know uh, kind of like God or Jesus might be God if I said anything like that James Lavin or Rick Edgecombe should stand up and disrupt the unity in that moment and if they didn't somebody else should Right? They should stand up and say, wait a minute, hold on. Stephen is deceiving you. He's lying. Let me tell you why he's lying. Here's the Scriptures. You see, I don't... Everybody... when This is the authority in this room. Not me. This is the authority. And anything discerned in the Scriptures is worth disrupting the unity. But let's be honest about church for just a second. What typically disrupts the unity in local churches? politics, drama, preferences, color. I was part of a church where they fought over the interior wall uh, material, right? The the interior wall was going to be cinder blocks, right? Cinder blocks. And there was people who were like, I don't want to be able to see cinder blocks when I'm worshiping Jesus. And there was just like this huge fight over the fact that they were going to be able to see cinder blocks uh, when they were worshiping Jesus. And they were going to be painted and all, but like, it was just like this huge drama. And I remember going to Africa in 2008 and, and worshiping on a bench this high and this wide and with no air conditioner, and it was like 197 degrees in the winter. And, and, I'm, and, and the place was packed, and people were loaded in there, and they're singing and worshiping, and they're doing call and response worshiping. And I'm like, I grew up in a church that fought over the cinder block, you know, and the inside the walls. These people here are just happy to worship Jesus in a building. You know what I mean? So let's be honest about the church. Our disruptive unity typically isn't over how to interpret, you know, the book of Galatians or Revelation or Jeremiah, right? That's not typically what's disrupting our unity. What's typically disrupting our unity is I don't like those lights. I don't like that music. I don't like the way the preacher wears his jeans. I don't like, you know, it's always, like it's always something that's preference. And what Paul says is the evidence of your maturity is that you take what you don't like in preference and you subject it, you submit it to the unity of the body. You make every effort to keep the unity in the bond of peace. That's tough, right? Because we think our preferences matter. They don't. They don't. They don't matter. I, I'm, I'm, it's too hard. I know. I'm sorry. It's too hard. Let me read you this from Romans 12:18. Paul in another letter to the Romans says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Whew. Yeah, come on. Like Anybody just want to go, ah, can we end this sermon now? That i got enough to work on the rest of my life. As, as if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. And so, so what this means is that our, our call to, to, um, to have unity uh, isn't necessarily it's unity at all costs. It's about being able to discern uh, what's a personal preference and what's objective truth from, from the scriptures. And then in every situation to make every effort to keep the unity, but understanding your effort will have some limitations and those limitations will be at this location. You follow what I'm saying? Everybody with me? Are you picking up while I'm sitting down? A little bit. There's half of you doing it. I'll take that. I'll take 50% all day long. All right. So how do we go about doing this? How? how? Like how do we go about living, uh, pursuing unity? How do we go about, uh, you know, making every effort to keep, The unity and the bond of peace. Well, verses 1 and 2 tell us the how. Remember, unity is all about the evidence of your maturity. So if you are are pursuing unity, then that means you have the evidence of maturity and growing up in Christ. Well, how do you pursue maturity? Well, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says that you live a life worthy of your calling. That's what verse 1 says. You live a life worthy of your calling. Remember what I've told you over the past few weeks? You have been called to be a citizen of God's kingdom. He he, he sent Jesus to die for you so you could become a citizen of his people. And he called you to be a member of his family. Remember I taught you that? So that calling that you have in your life to be a citizen of his kingdom and a member of his family, that calling has a certain way of living that goes along with it, all right? A certain way of living that goes along with it. I was talking to Mike McCann recently and he, tell, he told me, he's, he shares with his boys, he says, listen, you're a, you are a McCann. And when you go out, you remember you're wearing that name and you never embarrass that name. You never bring shame to that name. You live with character and integrity and you do the right thing because you do not want to embarrass the name of McCann. Right. That's the same thing with us who have received the name of son and daughter of God, who've been invited into the kingdom of God as members of the family of God. We have a calling that we've been given and we have a responsibility that goes with that calling. And Paul says, if you want to make every effort to pursue unity, you live a life worthy of your calling. You live a life like you belong in the Father's house. You pursue a life like you are a citizen of the kingdom. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying we get it right. I'm just saying we hunger for it and we long for it and we fight for it and we don't give up. We keep going to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. But there's a second thing he says, how we pursue unity, how we keep the unity, which is the evidence of our maturity. Verse 2, you ready for this one? We be completely, the word completely, isn't that insane? Like, couldn't he just say, you be somewhat humble? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, wouldn't that be better, right? If you just said, just just be somewhat, sort of, kind of, mostly humble. No, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Yeah, I know, man, I just... So how do we pursue, remember, pursuing unity or making every effort for unity, remember, is evidence of my maturity. How do I do that? I live a life that's worthy of the calling, number one. Number two, I be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. We we know that we are maturing in Christ when people who make us angry don't cause us to lose our cool. It's real simple. It's super simple. The evidence that you are maturing in Christ is when someone who drives you crazy cannot disrupt your peace. It's so simple. It's good, right? It's good. And, and, and who has an opportunity for this every day? <laughs> right? Like, every day at work, right? You got somebody... Like, you could take a maturity test in Jesus every single day. You could be like... You could get to the end of the day in your your smartphone, you could pull out your notes be like, made a C today, Jesus, but I'm working on it. (laughs) You know? Made it after day, because I kind of cussed out that lady who was smarting me off. Oh, I made an A today, Jesus, because... Right? You could actually... Believe it or not, you could actually put you could grade yourself daily on how you respond to people who irritate you. You could put it on a spreadsheet and watch a line line chart. You could do that. You could actually measure your spiritual growth because Paul is saying that the way we know that we're maturing in our faith is how we interact with and deal with people who drive us crazy. Now, I got to pause here for a second because I'm preaching this right now, but I'm not necessarily good at this right now. Anybody want to say I know amen. I've seen you. <laughs> I've seen you. Actually, I know. Like you, you kind of get fired. You, you, you kind of go from zero to a hundred kind of quick. Like I know you like that's like me. I can do that. Like this is a, this is effort for me. I can go from zero to a hundred like that. Like I can get fired up in a hurry. And then like later I'm like, what was I doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what was I doing? Like, what was going on with me? Like you, you, you almost felt like, So so you need to make it understand, if you ever listen to anybody preach and they preach the scriptures and they tell you that they've got everything down in the scriptures, go find another church. I'm just telling you. Because nobody has it all down. And this is one of my blind spots. I'm preaching this, but I'm not particularly good at this. I struggle with staying completely humble and completely gentle and completely patient. I I struggle in that. And, and, And the reason is, and I don't know if this is your how you feel about it. This is how I feel about it. Um, Is that Paul's command for me to be completely humble and gentle and patient with you and bearing in love with you has nothing to do with how you treat me. And that's where I struggle. Because like I want to be patient with you and humble with you and gentle with you and be, you know, completely bearing in love with you, but you you better give it back. (laughs) And the moment you don't give it back, I'm going to throw a table or something. I'm going to flip something over. I'm going to kick my stool and and, 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 and then the thing is, I, listen, I'll be honest, and then I'm going to blame you later. I'm going to lose my cool, get impatient, not be gentle with you, not obey the Scriptures. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to be mature in Christ. And then I'm going to say, it's your fault. Well, I, I mean, I, I was, did everything I could. I made every effort. You see, the text says that my, the calling of my life is to bear with you in love. And that word means to suffer, by the way. This is why uh, the scriptures tell us that love is long-suffering. We translate that sometimes as sometimes patient, but really it's long-suffering. Bearing with you means I'm, I'm long-suffering, I endure. It's the image of like facing a storm and not cowering in fear. And some of y'all are like a storm, I ain't going to lie. And I am too sometimes. And other people have to endure me, and I have to endure you. Because believe it or not, even you sitting here right now, and me, we all can be a little difficult sometimes. We all can be a little messy sometimes. I can be a little selfish. Can you be selfish? Hey, is anybody in this room a little sensitive and quick to get offended? Come on. Oh, y'all a bunch of liars. I'm changing my sermon right now. <laughs> did you see that idea? like four people raise their hand. How long have you been in ministry? Long time, right? How many, do this many people in the room, you think there's more than four people get offended easily? For sure. <laughs> For sure, he said. For sure, DeAndre said. We, we, we can be that way. We can be sensitive. We can get offended. And, and I'm going to tell you, that long suffering, that bearing with one another, that putting up with one another, I'm going to tell you where you see that lived out the best. Believe it or not, it's not inside the local church. I know you're surprised to hear that. But um, where you see it lived out the best, what I'm teaching you, is inside of a long-term healthy marriage. So you sit down with a couple that's been married like 35, 40 years. I've been married 25 years now. You sit down with a couple that's been married 25, 35, 40 years, and they're healthy and they're whole. I'm going to tell you right now, there are some days where they had to endure each other. There were some days where they just had to have some long suffering with each other. There were some days where they just had to be completely humble with each other and gentle with each other, and patient with each other. There were some de- and I'll tell you right now, like I'm looking at Miss Stella in the room, Miss Stella tells me sometimes, she says, you know, James just has to be patient with me sometimes. Right, J- right, Stella? He just has to be patient with me sometimes. How long y'all been married, Stella? 47 years. Yeah, y'all can clap, I hear it over there. It, for- she says, James just has to be patient with me sometimes, and I promise you, right, Stella has to be patient with James. All right, it, Because if you want to see how it worked out, but this is why the scriptures describe a marriage as a picture of the local church. Because it takes the same thing. It takes that bearing with one another and being patient with one another. And that's the pathway of keeping the unity. That's the pathway of keeping the unity. I'm patient with you. I bear with you. I, 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 I stay calm with you. I listen to you. You listen to me. We both do it. And even if you don't do it, guess what? I still do it. Even when you're losing your cool on me and screaming at me and not like an idiot with me, I'm staying right here. And I'm going going to be completely humble. I'm going to be completely patient. I'm going to bear with this person in love. Even when you're not doing it, I'm going to do it. But if we both do it, if we both do it, that's the evidence that we are keeping the unity, that we're pursuing unity. And check this out. If we're keeping the unity... That's the evidence that we are maturing in our faith. So, you want to know if you're maturing in your faith? Watch how you respond to people who annoy you. If you're not responding well to them, you're immature. Harsh, right? But I'm not, I don't come up here to lie to you. So, the evidence of your maturing is do you keep, do you pursue to keep the unity? And, do you treat people with complete humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with them in love? All right. The next thing he says, he gives us a couple quick things. We're going to do this very quickly. He gives us the source, uh, uh, he, he shows us that we have resources for our maturity. In other words, we're not on our own to be mature. Uh, so, like if you try to get in shape, it's probably best to get you a coach, right? Somebody go to a trainer who can train you. If you uh, are trying to get better at your job, you probably get some training, right? So, it's the same thing with growing in maturity in Christ. We have resources. Uh, for our maturing in Christ. Let me read to you verse 7. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, leave that up there for a second. The word grace here is not being used like grace of salvation, right? The word grace here is being used like the grace of gifts, okay, gifts. But to each one of us, gifts have been given as Christ apportioned it. So that's how Paul's using the word here. And so uh, Jesus gives each of us gifts, He gives us gifts so that we can make every effort to keep the unity and we can live a life worthy of our calling and we can be completely humble, patient, and gentle with others, bearing with them in love. Now, follow me, follow me. Do you think you can be completely humble, gentle, and patient and bearing with others in love without Jesus giving you some resources? Do you think that's possible? No, that's not possible. Absolutely not possible. This is why Jesus doesn't call you to anything that he doesn't provide you the resources that you need. Can I say that again? What you're called to, what you're called to he gives you resources for He doesn't call you anywhere. He doesn't tell you to go any place and not resource you to go to that place. So when he calls you to pursue uh, unity, when he calls you to be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love, when he calls you to this radical life where you don't get angry at someone when they're angry at you, when he calls you to that life, he says, okay, I'm going to give you the gifts that you need, the resources that you need in order to do that. That's how good he is. And you all have been given these gifts. You've been given these gifts internally. You have the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, who guides you, who leads you. The Holy Spirit is a gift to you. Jesus, uh, we are better off than the apostles were because Jesus was a human with the apostles walking with them. He was limited by his flesh. But now we have the Holy Spirit. You all have the infinite God living inside you in spiritual form who guides you and leads you. This is a gift of God's grace to help you in those moments when you're about to lose your cool on that customer across from you. Right? That's why the Holy Spirit is inside of you to help you inside of this church to know how to keep the unity, to how to bear with one another in love. We've been given this gift. And you all have been given a gift internally. But not only has, have you internally been given a, a gift, but we as a church collectively have been given gifts by Jesus. We've been collectively given gifts by Jesus to help us mature in our, our faith. Ready? Ready? We've been given gifts by Jesus to help us mature in our faith. Listen to this, verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors and teachers to equip his people. To do what? To equip his people for works of what? Somebody say it out loud. Service. Service. So that the body of Christ may be built up, that's us, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Look at me for a second. Jesus didn't just give you gifts internally, gifts of grace internally. He gave us collectively gifts to help us mature. Resources, apostles, apostles prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Right? These are roles that, God, that Jesus has given the church. Roles to help us be equipped in our faith to grow in our faith for works of what? Works of service. And if you just read this text, if you just read it slowly, what Paul is saying is when we, uh, Jesus gave these gifts to the church so that those people would equip people inside the church. So, so like I, I'm one of those people. I'm a pastor, right? So I'm a gift to the local church from Jesus. And my, my role is to equip you. That's why I'm preaching. That's why I preach every Sunday. So I break the word down because I'm trying to equip you. That's my role, all right? So I equip, let's say Nathan here, Nate here. I equip Nate. I I teach the scriptures. I preach the scriptures. I equip Nate. I have one-on-one conversations with him. I equip Nate. And then what does he do? He's equipped for what? Works of what? Service, all right? So then he takes my equipping through the scriptures and through one-on-one conversations. He takes that equipping and he begins to serve others, which I happen to know he does beautifully. He begins to serve others. Right? Now look, 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 follow the text here. Verse 13 says that as he serves others, then the body of Christ, so he's serving, and James is serving, and DeAndre is serving, and then and Derek is serving, right? And and, and um and April is serving, and, and all these people are serving, right? They're serving. Then these works of service by all these people lead to the, the body of Christ being built up, and then the body of Christ reaches unity in the faith, and then the body of Christ reaches unity in the Son of God. And then the body of Christ becomes mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. What did did our maturity as a church, what is it linked back to? The five gifts of the church equipping believers, number one, but then believers receiving that equipping and doing works of what? Service. Is this connecting at all? When we serve as individuals, and are equipped to serve, and then serve. When we do that, our church, meaning this church, grows up into maturity. And remember I told you at the beginning, the more mature we are, the more people see Jesus, and so we become a community where people find and follow Jesus. So you with me? You want to see people get saved and come to Christ? Serve your local church. They're so simple to me, man. You see, when you read this text what you, real, text, what you realize is that the church in America has gotten it wrong. We built a big stadium, and we put pastors and, and famous people on the stage with lights, and we put everybody else in the stands. And we said, y'all, watch what we do for Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's broken, and it's not working, and the church is dying in America. And the reason it's dying in America is not because we don't preach the gospel. I know so many pastors are preaching their heart out. That's not, why we don't, that's, not, that's not why the church is dying in America. The church is dying in America because we've got this confounded, crazy notion that church is consumers coming to consume a product from professional Christians on a stage. That is not the church. It's just not the church. It's actually the body of Christ serving one another, bearing with one another, loving one another, serving one another, serving one another, so much so that they become a community where other people find and follow Jesus. So let me just tell you this real quick this morning. Do you know uh, today there were like, one, two, three, four, five, six? there were like six people on campus here before anybody else getting all of this ready to go. And when I got here, man, it was like chaos. Man, they were like getting everything right and doing a run through. And then there's a there's a teenager running pro, there's a college student running lights, and then there's Chris running sound. But um, um and then Brian, Brian's back there. Um, Brian's back there doing production. Uh, uh, this this place was full of volunteers, like worker bees, pulling off this weekend. And then that doesn't count children's ministry. Everybody's doing children's ministry and greeting and coffee. Like, dude, there's like. 35 volunteers or so, whatever it is, pulling off this weekend of service. And here's the problem with that. That's, it's not okay that there's just like a few people doing works of service that are leading to maturity. That's not okay. It's just not okay. It's all of us. It's everybody. And it's not about us needing help. Honestly, we don't need help. We'll just do less. We don't need help. We just won't have children's ministry. It's, it's like, we just won't do it. We don't need help. We all need to be serving. because when we all serve, we grow in maturity and we become a community where people find and follow Jesus. So my role, our elders role, leaders in our ministry, their role is to do equipping for acts of service. Your role is to be equipable or teachable, and then all of our roles, everybody here, is to do acts of service for each other and for the community. And when we do this, Paul says we grow in maturity and Christ-likeness, and then people see that. And then lastly, what's the purpose of our maturity? Uh, Verse 16 says, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work the purpose of our unity the purpose of our maturity sorry the purpose of our maturity the reason we're trying to get mature in Christ is so that the body of Christ the church will grow and it won't grow because we have the best marketing in town i'm not i'm, I'm awful marketing don't get me wrong don't don't misunderstand me i'm not preaching against marketing it's not because we have the best show in town and i'm not against having great Production value on the platform. I think it's very important. It provides place for people to volunteer and serve, and, and it honors Jesus because we're bringing our excellence to Him. All of I'm for all of that, but none of those ways are how the church grows. The purpose of our mature the purpose of our maturity is for the church to grow. The way the church grows is when all of us get serious about growing in our faith and become mature in Christ and go from being a place of a consumer to a place of a producer, and not to think about churches. Oh, I like that church. That preacher's really good. But think about church like this. I'm called to that place. God has led me there and I'm serving the kingdom for the purpose and the glory of Jesus at Island's Christian Church. That's why I'm there. And if Stephen got hit by a bus tomorrow, I'll be there Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be there Sunday. Like, you're like, some of you are going, Stephen, you're going hit, to hit by a bus? I might. I might. I'm driving to Atlanta today. I, I might... I might die today. And if my legacy is, I had a church full of people who liked me, (laughs) I will weep before my Savior. But if I have a legacy, that there was a church full of people who pursued maturity in Christ and served one another, so much so that they became a community where people find and follow Jesus, That's a legacy that I could be proud of. And we all could be proud of. So check your evidence this week. Check it. Check to see if you're maturing in Christ. Our church depends on you and me maturing in Christ. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the the truth of this long passage. There's so much here we didn't even have time to unpack. Oh, man, Jesus, you're so good to us. I pray that this fire hose of data will uh, find the right parts of it, will find roots in the hearts of the men and women who are in the room and watching online. I pray for fruit in the teaching of your word. And I pray for changes in each of us. We love you. We thank you for the scriptures that are so rich and so beautiful. And we ask that we would honor you with a life worthy of our calling. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.